Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This is episode number 122 of Search News You Can Use, uh, corresponding with uh, newsletter episode number 122. And I'm recording this on Wednesday, March 4th of 2020. There is so much stuff to get through in this podcast, so hopefully we can cover it all. uh, And I'll be able to help you to learn a little bit more about what Google has done this week and uh, what changes have happened in the world of SEO. This has been a really bizarre month in terms of algorithm updates. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about what we think Google has been doing in February. We're still kind of vague on all of these uh, thoughts on what Google's been doing, but I think you'll find it quite interesting. There's a load of stuff as well that's in newsletter, again, episode number 122 of Search News You Can Use. We're going to talk about Google's no-follow changes again, which I've mentioned before, but they are apparently live now, although it sounds like Google's not using them. So I know that's confusing. I'm going to try to unpack that in a few minutes. And really, really interesting, again, another topic that I've covered several times in the past, but uh, just want to go a little bit further on, is people are still having trouble getting some new content indexed. And one of our Q&A questions, actually, uh, which I'll talk about at the end of this podcast, is somebody who's having trouble um, maybe getting new content indexed, uh, potentially getting it ranked. And it relates to, I think, these changes where Google is trying to not um, put into the index uh, or at least rank well content that they know is very unlikely to be clicked on. Uh, And so I think you're going to find this really interesting. There's lots of other stuff we'll mention in this episode as well. So let's get right into it. Um, First, we'll start talking about the algorithm turbulence. Something definitely happened on February 24th of this year. Now, again, I feel like I say this every week. Google makes changes every single day. They make multiple changes to their algorithms, but something specific happened on on or about February 24th. We have a lot of sites in our profile that are seeing improvements starting February 24th, and some of them are massive improvements. Uh, you know, we have one site that's up uh, something like 100%. It's, it's an insane uh, amount. Um, and then we have other sites that are actually down as of February 24th or thereabouts, February 24th to maybe the 27th. Um, and it's a big enough pattern that uh, this doesn't seem to be just a normal ranking shift. There's definitely something going on. What we're noticing is that most sites that saw a significant change in how much Google organic traffic they get, uh, and that change happened near the end of February. So the 24th, again, is the most common date. Uh, but for most of these sites that are seeing changes, they also were impacted by the January core update. So the January core update was announced by Google on January 13th of 2020. And most of the sites that saw significant changes as a result of this update saw those changes start around January 14th. Um, It was really interesting to see that most of the sites where we felt they were affected February 24th or thereabouts were also affected by the January core update. We linked in newsletter to an article from Rank Ranger that sort of uh, gives their uh, view on what's happening in February. And I believe the words they said were it was uh, chaos or havoc or I think the word discombobulated was used in there, which is one of my favorite words. basically describing what's going on in February, they had said that perhaps um, Google had reversed some of the things that came out with the January core update. I don't think that's the case. I think that they've tweaked some dials and maybe they've turned down some knobs that previously they turned up. Um, But Google has said that it's rare that they'll actually reverse uh, a core algorithm update. They do loads of testing on these things before they go live, uh, but they can tweak things. And so we think that Google sort of tweaked some elements of trust and what they value in terms of trust. In newsletter, uh, if you are a premium subscriber of newsletter, uh, we've given some really great examples of sites that have worked on improving some elements of trust and, uh, and then saw improvements with the February core update. Now, in these cases, 
I don't have as much evidence as I usually do uh, to support our theories. And so it's very important to tell you that a lot of the stuff that we've talked about in newsletter is more observational um, than conclusional. I don't know if is conclusional even a word, but more observational than coming up with direct conclusions. Um, we noted that uh, some sites that have been seeing improvements, uh, consistently there are pages that are being improved uh, in terms of rankings and in terms of traffic um, were pages that had been recently updated. And so we go into more detail on that in the newsletter. If you write YMYL content, so if your content is medical, financial, legal, or anything that um, really strongly impacts people's lives, then uh, you really, really must make sure that your most recent content is, or that your content is up to date. And it's not enough to just change the date on it. One thing that we noticed in sites that saw this uh, improvement that we think is related to keeping content up to date was when you look at their pages in archive.org, you can see that they significantly did improve the content um, rather than just uh, a slap on a last updated date on it. Um, so, you know, we have more on that in newsletter. Also, when you're looking at algorithm updates at this time of year, it's really tricky, not necessarily this time of year, but in this time of our lives where we're dealing with coronavirus fears. Coronavirus, I think, is going to drastically change patterns of traffic for so many websites. We have one site that looked like they were seeing massive improvements uh, with the February um, changes that we've been seeing. And I do think they are because they're seeing improvements across almost all of their pages. But one of their pages uh, made it look like there was a massive spike because they have an article on how to make a do-it-yourself hand sanitizer. Um, and I think this is a new article that just came out. And so it's hard to say, is there increase in rankings uh, across the board because of some change that Google has made? Or is it that perhaps this new post has gotten a lot of attention, has uh, garnered some links for the site, and that's boosted uh, their rankings across the board? I think it's probably a combo of the two. I think that this particular site saw improvements um, uh, because of, uh, you know, they're keeping their content fresh, they're producing stuff that people are interested in, they're keeping their last updated date uh, for most of their posts more recent, and I think that that all contributes to them uh, really, really doing well. Um, the other uh, thing that we go into great detail in newsletter about as well is just more on affiliate disclosures. We have one site uh, that is seeing some nice improvements. They were actually negatively impacted by the January core update. And one of the things that we recommended for them was making some changes in their, uh, how clear they are about disclosing which links are affiliate links. And so um, they took more steps to make it more clear to people. And we've talked about this. It's written, we wrote about it in our January core update article uh, along with other ideas. But um, uh, they're seeing nice improvements now in late February. Now, is that because Google tweaked uh, how important it is to disclose your affiliate links? Or is it because Google recognized that, oh, you know, now it's more obvious which links on the page are monetized? Um, and so, you know, it's hard to say. But really, it can't hurt anybody to uh, make improvements on how you disclose your information. I know some of you are saying, but wait, users won't click on that link if it's an affiliate link. If that's the case, if the only way that people will click on your affiliate links is if you disguise them and make them look like they're not affiliate links, then those probably are not going to help Google to trust your site. Um, so we really recommend being extremely clear in uh, making sure that readers know, all oh, right, when I click on some of these links, the site owner is potentially going to get paid for these uh, because that we really strongly think is a, a sign of trust for particular websites. So I'm not gonna go into more detail at this point. Those are just some of the things that we think Google is doing in terms of February changes. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if Google just comes out and says like, hey, we have a whole new engine now in you know a way that the algorithm works. It reminds me of when um, Caffeine came out, uh, which was all of a sudden Chrome's ability to, um, to show results uh, super, super fast and change change them on the fly, or uh, even Hummingbird. Uh, when Hummingbird went live, 
nobody in the SEO community really commented on it. I think in hindsight, people said, oh, that's why rankings changed at this time. Um, and then a few months after Hummingbird came out, Google came out and said, oh, by the way, we've completely redone uh, a huge component of our algorithms, and, uh, and, and they didn't tell us about it. This is what that feels like to me. Now, I had a theory that I uh, was apparently wrong, um, that these changes could be related to Google's handling of nofollow. We've talked about this a lot in the past, but uh, in September, Google put out this blog post telling us about the new attributes rel equals sponsored and rel equals UGC. And those new attributes are uh, something that you could implement at that time in September or any time since then. And Google should recognize that, oh yeah, this is a sponsored link. We're not gonna count this in our, um, our algorithms or this is a user generated content link. And so we're not gonna pass page rank through it. We're not going to change anything um, in regards to how we treat this link. What didn't go live in September was Google's ability to use no-followed links in terms of crawling and indexing. Um, and so we had this uh, theory that perhaps Google, and I still think this is true, that Google probably will do this in the future, that um, some no-followed links may start to count for things. Uh, and what I mean by that is, let's say the Wall Street Journal writes an article about SEO and links to us, but they link to us with a no-followed link. I think that Google can recognize now that they have BERT, uh, they have ways to process language, they could recognize, you know what, this is an authoritative article from a website that we trust that is recommending content from mariehaines.com, and even though it's a no-followed link, that recommendation means that that content's actually pretty good. Uh, and we think that no followed links from authoritative sources, so not, this doesn't mean we should all go out and start blog spam commenting, um, you know, to get links from every source. Google is going to be really good at recognizing which of these no followed links they should actually use. Um, but really, that isn't happening. Uh, so I asked John Mueller on Twitter whether uh, this was potentially the cause for the fluctuations we've seen in February, and he flat out said, no, it's not. So it was a good theory, but that's not actually what's happening. Um, the other interesting thing is in a help hangout just this week, um, I think Barry Schwartz actually asked John Mueller uh, whether um, those changes that were supposed to go live March 1st are actually live. And from what I understand, and uh, it's something that's available to Google engineers, but no Google engineers have actually written code to use these changes. Um, and so uh, it's something that, who knows, in the future we might find with a future update that um, things have changed because Google is now taking into account some no-followed links, uh, but this apparently has not happened yet. Let's talk about people having problems getting content indexed. Um, there's more people. We put in newsletter just another tweet from somebody who was saying, look, I have this new content and I can't get it indexed. Um, and, uh, you know, John Mueller is very clear in saying that there are no indexing issues with Google. And I find that really interesting because... Um, you know, usually in the past, if people en masse were complaining about getting content indexed, uh, then Google would be like, okay, we're going to look into it. We're going to figure out, is there a problem on our side? And this time when people ask it, they just flat out say no. So at the end of this podcast, there's a Q&A question about somebody who's having trouble getting content indexed. Although I'm not sure whether uh, that's actually the issue. It could be that the content is just indexed but not ranking well. Um, and I'll go into some more detail in what uh, I think Google could be looking at um, in terms of deciding whether to index content. Uh, but for now, if you are struggling to get new content into Google's index, you really, really should take a look at uh, the quality of that content. Take a look at who's ranking for the similar keywords that you want that content to rank for, and really ask yourself, would a reader prefer to read my article than theirs? And include EAT in that. If their article is written by somebody who's known across your industry as an expert, and yours is written by somebody who is not known at all in the industry, then even if yours is better in terms of content, users may not see it that way. So, um, you know, it's, it's a complicated situation, but again, I'll go into more detail in a few minutes on that.
Okay, Google uh, is apparently going to be switching all sites to mobile-first indexing within the next year. Uh, this is news. So there was a tweet uh, by Kyle Sutton, and um, he received an email from Google, which is very common, saying uh, there's mobile-first indexing issues on uh, his website, and or maybe it was one of his clients' websites. And the message, though, actually contained this line. It says, Google expects to apply mobile-first indexing to all websites in the next 6 to 12 months. So um, that's important. If you've been thinking, well, you know, it's going to take years for Google to get around to mobile-first indexing, and you've been putting it off, I would not put off making sure you're mobile-first indexing ready uh, any longer. We have a really good article written by Matt Baker, one of my great teammates here, uh, on mobile-first indexing, which um, you can find, I'm sure if you just Google mobile-first indexing Marie Haynes, I think it actually ranks fairly well for mobile-first indexing, but I haven't checked uh, recently. Um, And it's got pretty much every question you could have on mobile-first indexing is in there and uh, um, anything that Google said on the subject. Uh, and so most of you probably know by now, but the most important things are to make sure that your content is the same on mobile and desktop. So if you have content that exists on desktop but doesn't show for mobile users, then Google's going to not see that content or you know potentially just treat it as lower quality content. Um, and so that includes things like schema. If you have your schema only on your desktop, then as you move to mobile-first indexing, that schema may not be recognized. So, um, you know, we could probably do a whole episode on mobile-first indexing, but I would encourage you to read the article that Matt wrote, and, um, uh, and, and yeah, I think you'll get some good tips from that. We also have in newsletter some good tips on best practices for Google News. Uh, Google put out an announcement, I think it was a blog post this week, uh, that talked about some things um, in regards to structured data and AMP. And if you are trying to get things into Google News, um, especially AMP pages, uh, structured data is really, really important. Um, Google says this will make it uh, the content eligible for an enhanced experience in search, such as placement in the top stories carousel, host carousel and visual stories. Um, Google also recommends that you add a publication date. Uh, And this is important. And we think that this goes along with the recommendations that are in the quality raters guidelines to keep your content up to date, especially if it's YMYL. There's more in there, especially on uh, marking your content for um, uh, live stream content and, and more. So if you are into Google News and you haven't seen this blog post, we've summarized it in newsletter for you, but probably you should read the entire blog post. Um, Google announced that uh, they're giving free access to their new advanced Hangouts Meet video conferencing. I don't know much about the service. Um, I mean, I think so many people use Google Hangouts, uh, and so it sounds like Google is improving it. Um, I don't know if you heard, apparently Zoom, uh, so Zoom, who is um, a video conferencing software that a lot of people use, their stock doubled uh, over coronavirus because so many people are working from home now. Now, trying to avoid getting sick and, and uh, infecting people and whatnot. Um, and so there's a lot of people doing video conferencing and uh, Zoom stock doubled. I saw it. Now, I'm not big into uh, the stock market at all, but I actually saw there's another stock that trades under Zoom, I think. Uh, and um, But it's not the company Zoom. It's a, it's a different, uh, it's not a video conferencing company. And that company's stock is improving because uh, uh, people are thinking that it's the video conferencing. I, I thought that was very interesting that that actually happens. Um, but back to this story about Google Hangouts. So apparently Google's working on a new advanced type of Hangout, and it's going to be free to everybody until July 1st of 2020. I think this is a smart move on Google's part. Um, you know, we'll probably give it a try. Uh, we've been kind of rotating through video conferencing, and uh, there's pros and cons to so many of them. But imagine, you know, how many people will use this because it's free and people are working from home. And then who knows what will happen July 1st if we get pretty uh, ingrained into using this new service. And then they say, well, now you can use it, but it costs this many dollars per month. I, I think they're going to get a lot of users from that. Um, but we'll see. We'll see if it works uh, better than the other options. Uh, um, uh, opportunities that are out there for video conferencing. We know that uh, Danny Sullivan is our Google search liaison. Um, We now have a YouTube liaison. 
and his name is Matt Koval. Um, I've just started following him on Twitter, so if there's news relevant to YouTube that we think uh, will help those of you who are SEOs, then we'll pass that on to you as well. Um, and those of you who are in, um, you know, heavily invested into YouTube, I would consider that you should be following Matt, uh, Matt Koval. It's M-A-T-T-K-O-V-A-L. And that's his username. Uh, oh, sorry. The uh, official YouTube liaison account is YouTube liaison. Liaison is one of the weirdest words to spell. Every time I type it, I, I think, is that right? <laughs> um, anyhow, Let's uh, move on. So Google announced uh, that images will start showing new icons on desktop. And these icons, uh, if you hover over them, will say whether the image leads to a product page, a recipe, or a video. Now, I didn't look into this in great detail. I would assume that this is schema-driven. Uh, so if you have implemented schema to say, well, yes, there's product results on this page, uh, then that... Um, could uh, be what Google is looking at. It would be interesting if it's not schema driven though, and that's actually a good thing to look into. The reason why I'm saying that is that there's this theory that um, in certain search results, if Google has not determined that it's a transactional search, that they will not show transactional results, um, or maybe they'll only show one or two. I'm actually going to be talking about this a bit in my uh, talk at SMX Munich, where uh, let's say you did a search for vitamin D, and you just wanted more information on vitamin D. Well, you're not likely to see results from Amazon or people who sell vitamins. You're more likely to see Healthline, the Mayo Clinic, Harvard, giving articles about information about vitamin D. But if I change my query to say um, uh, buy vitamin D, then all of a sudden my SERPs are filled with sites that are e-commerce sites. Uh, I see Amazon, I see Walmart, I see big vitamin manufacturers. And so the theory is that um, there's almost like a lottery for certain queries when Google determines uh, that the query is transactional or informational or, you know, in some cases that you're clearly looking for a recipe, perhaps, um, then Google is getting better at saying, ah, well, let's show them results that are uh, going to meet their query. Um, and the reason why I say this, I still think that the image changes that they talked about are driven by schema. But... I think that Google is just really trying to figure out whether pages on your website are transactional. And this can be really important because um, if you notice that every page that's ranking for your main query is an informational page, and you're trying to rank a page that sells a product related to that information, you may find that you rank better if you can make an informational page. Now, the problem with this is that those pages don't convert as well, uh, and what we're noticing is that that um, for informational queries, the pages, when Google does rank an e-commerce page, usually the calls to action are very mild. They're not, uh, you know, buy this product, buy this product. It's like, here's all this information. And by the way, here's a link where you can buy it. So keep that in mind. I, this is something we're doing a lot of research into, uh, just figuring out how to best um, capture search traffic when you're trying to sell products because uh, it seems that Google's getting better at determining when people have their credit card out and when they're just looking for information. Let's talk about outbound unnatural links. Um, I got a tweet from somebody this week that was asking me a question about uh, a penalty that they got from Google. I shouldn't say penalty, a manual action from Google um, on outbound unnatural links. Now, outbound means that the links are coming from your website. This is different than the normal type, I say normal, but the more common type of unnatural link penalty is where you've been building links to your website and Google detects unnatural inbound links to your website. Outbound links means that Google has determined uh, that you're doing something to either sell links or trade content for links, something like that. If you uh, post a lot of guest posts on your website, then you're at risk for getting an, unbound, uh, an outbound unnatural link penalty. 
Um, a few years ago, many of you will probably remember uh, Ann Smarty's um, network called My Blog Guest. And the network was a great way to find places to, to guest post. The problem was, though, that many people abused it and uh, started building links at a massive scale. And this started to look like a, a network of um, people providing links in exchange for content. And these links, for the most part, weren't paid links. It was more, uh, hey, I can write this guest post for your website and in return it'll contain three links back to my website um, that type of thing and uh, many of those sites that were in that network got this outbound unnatural link manual action so has there been an increase in these that are going out? I, you know, a few SEOs, I saw Jennifer Slag and Alan Blayweiss uh, both tweeted that they've had a few requests this week for people who wanted more information or wanted help on this type of thing. We haven't seen an uptick in requests. And I mean, it's certainly possible. I think it's possible that Google uh, found a particular link network and um, sent out some uh, manual actions that way. Uh, but I don't think this is something where Google is doing this massive, uh, all of a sudden they're handing out tons of manual actions. I could be wrong on that. Um, so if you got one of these, they're usually very easy to fix. Uh, generally what you need to do is find which posts contain links that were there for SEO reasons. Uh, and what I mean by that is either a paid link or it's a guest post where somebody's allowed to link to their own site. Now it's fine. If you have a couple of posts like that, you're not going to get this manual action. But if you have lots and lots of posts uh, where you're allowing people to create their own content and link out to their own websites, then you could get this manual action. Now, from my experience, the manual action doesn't tend to actually hurt your site. Um, it used to be harmful in the days where we had toolbar page rank. If you remember, uh, we had this toolbar that Google provided that I believe they got rid of when they when Chrome became well adopted because now they can just see you know which websites people uh, visit because they've got their own browser. Um, but in the past, we all had this toolbar installed, and the toolbar would tell us the page rank. Now I remember, I'm sure Barry won't mind me saying this. He wrote about it, but Barry Schwartz got an unnatural links outbound link manual action, um, and his was because he has a sidebar where he has sponsored links and he made those links followed. This is many years ago. They're no followed now. Um, and so uh, Google said to Barry, well, that's unnatural and you're selling links and those links are passing PageRank. And I believe Barry's website was like a PageRank 6 at the time. I could be wrong on that. And um, then when you went to Barry's website after he got that manual action, uh, the toolbar page rank said that it was like a two or a three, something like that. I could be wrong on those numbers. Now, his website didn't suffer in rankings at all. He did fine. However, I bet you he sold fewer links at that time um, because buying a link from a page rank three site is not worth as much as buying one from a page rank six site. And, um, Eventually, uh, Barry changed things. They're no followed now. For a while, we had uh, it was our one paid link that we had, and uh, we were probably one of the first sites on the web to have uh, a really cool sponsored link pointing to us because Barry implemented that um, once it went live. Uh, so, anyways. Um, I don't think there's an increase in these manual actions going out. If you get one, you can uh, just find all of those links, either remove the link, change it to no followed, add a sponsored or a rel equals UGC on it, and then request reconsideration through Search Console. Um, Gary Ish uh, just tweeted saying, there's no such thing as a site being tainted after a manual action. Uh, once you get the manual action removed, you're good. And this really should be the case for uh, these manual actions. I mean, they didn't really have much impact to start with. Although, you know, now in the day of EAT being more prevalent in the, in the algorithms, it's possible that um, having a manual action for outbound unnatural links could uh, impact Google's assessment of trust for your site. You know, it's been a little while since I actually uh, assessed a site that had that type of manual action um, in terms of whether they lost traffic. Uh, but regardless, uh, I mean, if you have an inbound unnatural link penalty, then uh, those can affect your site long term. And it's not that Google puts this, you know, uh, 
stigma on your site to say, oh, yeah, they're they're really bad because they buy links all the time. It's just that um, those links that Google detected used to be helping. And when you remove those links, of course, you're not going to rank as well as uh, you did before. So so there isn't a long lasting, um, you know, stigma on the site. Once you remove a manual action, you should be able to return to usual. Um, but you won't receive the benefit of the thing that was <laughs> was giving you the manual action. Hopefully that makes sense. Uh, Google just recently up, like, updated their guidelines in regards to FAQs. They added a bullet point that says, if you have FAQ content that is repetitive on your site, meaning the same question and answer appear on multiple pages of your site, mark up only one instance of that FAQ for your entire site. That's a new thing. So if you have the same question that appears on multiple pages, Google only wants to see schema on one of those pages, uh, FAQ schema. So <clears throat> I'm not sure if there will be manual actions for that or how Google's gonna handle that, but that's what's in their guidelines. <clears throat> um, oh, this is a tweet that I tweeted and I think I caused some confusion, but it's still very, very important. I was listening to the most recent Help Hangout and somebody asked this question about, um, uh, let me read it here, on a product page with a load more JavaScript button, Generally, how many times uh, do you, meaning Google, trigger the load before you stop? How do you detect a load more button if it's an image button or has an unusual text other than load more? And um, John answered this saying, so my understanding is we would not click on this at all. I believe in the past we would try to figure this out and try to trigger some of these to see what would happen, but that's extremely expensive when it comes to rendering the whole web. So I believe we don't do that at all. What we do instead is, you know what, I'm going to come back to that part in a minute. My confusion is uh, what I tweeted um, was that this could be an issue for read more buttons. Now I still think it could be, but most read more buttons are also, they can be CSS driven as opposed to JavaScript driven. Um, and what I mean by that is, so let's kind of take a step back here. If there's a button on your website that a user clicks and then that causes JavaScript to be uh, executed, and that JavaScript is important for uh, content to appear, then there's a good chance that Google is not gonna see that content. Um, with read more buttons as opposed to load more buttons, often the content is, uh, it's, it's not done with JavaScript. It's more, you can use CSS to display none or to hide uh, the display. And then uh, when the button's clicked, it shows. And so if you look at the source code of a page like that, all of the text that's behind that button is still in the source code. And Google should be able to see that. Now, it's controversial whether it's given the same weight. Um, in the past, Google said uh, if stuff is behind tabs, behind accordions, uh, behind read more buttons, that uh, it was to be treated as lower importance than other text on the page. And then they said, oh, with mobile first indexing, that's not a thing anymore and it should all be treated the same. There were some experiments. I know Dejan SEO did an experiment that really showed that uh, content that was behind tabs seemed to not rank as well. That's a whole different issue than this though. So the issue here is where uh, you have a button that has to be clicked that causes JavaScript to load. And if the JavaScript um, uh, requires that button click, then, uh, then Google will not do that. That's what John is saying. So here's what he said. What we do instead is we do something we call frame expansion, which is we take the page that you service and we try to render it on an extremely long viewport. And we see if the page does anything like infinite loading where it expands the viewport. And that's something where we would expand that viewport once we see what loads and try to index all of that. There's more in my tweet. I actually screenshotted the whole um, transcription that we did from the Google Help Hangout. Uh, the point here though is, um, again, the whole uh, reliance on JavaScript. So if you have something that's very important, if you're like, Google's not seeing this, you know, this product that we have on our page and all of this great information, um, and, you know, and it requires a click that requires JavaScript, then you may need to make changes in that respect. Now, if you're not sure whether Google's seeing this, it's pretty easy to test. 
you can do uh, two things. You can do a fetch and render in Search Console and see if Google actually displays that content. The other thing you can do is search for that content in quotes. Um, search for it on Google and see if it's in the index. And if it is, then Google's seeing it. What it doesn't tell you, though, is whether Google's actually giving it uh, as much weight as uh, content that's not hidden. So uh, we've talked in the past. There's been some really great studies that talk about, and I can't remember who did it. There was one study I want to say about a year and a half ago, um, where maybe it was longer, where somebody uh, actually removed all reliance on JavaScript on e-commerce pages, and they saw a very large increase in conversions uh, after that. And I think the theory was that it made the page faster, which faster pages tend to convert better, um, but there were other things to it. So I'm not saying we should all get rid of JavaScript. JavaScript can make things look nice and can improve UX, and that can improve conversions as well. Um, but I think you should uh, pay close attention to whether Google's seeing your content, whether the JavaScript is causing it to load slowly, um, you know, whether uh, the JavaScript itself is impacting the ability to get that content. Uh, I thought this was interesting. Google has a new course on technical writing. I actually would like to find the time to take this course uh, because... I think it's possible that it can give us some hints as to what it is that Google um, respects in terms of quality when it comes to technical writing. We've linked to the tweet uh, that announced that in newsletter. So um, I would encourage you, if you have technical writers, to, to do it. I, the course seems to take a few hours to do, so uh, we'll see. I, <laughs> I want to do it, although I probably won't have time. So if any of you do take this course, I'd love for you to tweet at me, Marie underscore. Haynes, and um, uh, and let me know if it's uh, something that I should be paying attention to. Did you know that you can contact Bing through Bing Webmaster Tools? We talked last week about how Bing uh, has improved some offerings in Webmaster Tools, and uh, so there, I've heard a few people talk about how you can actually contact Bing through Webmaster Tools if you're having serious ranking issues. Um, I've had a few clients in the past with Bing manual actions that uh, we could actually just email their web spam team through Webmaster Tools and actually got results back saying, oh yeah, these are the pages that have the issue. Um, and it was fantastic because Google doesn't give us that type of feedback. It's like pulling teeth trying to get uh, Google to specifically tell you what's wrong with your website. So if you're having issues with Bing, that's something that's worth uh, trying is maybe reaching out to see if you can get some help in figuring out what your indexing issues are or ranking issues are. Um, we don't have a whole lot in newsletter this week on local search. There's a couple of little things uh, in there, but um, there is apparently, uh, I mentioned this last week, we've sort of partnered up with Sterling Sky, that's Joy Hawkins' team, that does tons of local SEO, uh, just because we don't do so much of that now, and it's hard for me to report on the impact of things when our own clients are not as heavily involved in this. Um, according to Carrie Hill, who works for Sterling Sky, uh, there has not been major algorithmic fluctuations this week. There's no um, massive news in, in local SEO. Uh, there w is a little bit of a rumbling of maybe an algorithm update, but um, in their opinion, there really isn't a, a major impact from this. So if that changes, we'll update you on that next week. Let's, um, let's see here. We'll move on to Q&A. I've got two really interesting questions today. First question, is it against Google's guidelines to own three websites in the same niche? I own three websites in the same niche. A, hosted on different IPs but the same C block. B, each one has a different address and a different Google My Business postcard verified, and each has a different brand name and a different phone number. C, none of my websites link to each other, and D, they all have unique content but targeting the same keywords. Lastly, they all have citations with consistent NAP, uh, that's name, address, phone number, at the top of each website. Okay, so is it against Google's guidelines to have more than one website? No, you can definitely have more than one website. However, it's our experience that Google doesn't like it. Um, John Mueller said a while back in a help hangout that if Google can detect that multiple websites are from the same business, and they're covering the same topics, they'll often fold those into one. And what will happen is that just one of those websites will tend to rank, 
where the other ones won't. Um, and one of the things he said is that they can look at the code base. They could see like, oh yeah, this site is essentially running the same code base as this site. And they, now I can't remember if John said this or whether uh, this came from another um, Google document or employee, but Google does uh, have ability to see the who is information for each domain. Now, all the things you've described on, you know, hosting on different IPs and uh, same C block and stuff, that's all stuff that when you start talking about that, it generally means you're trying to hide things, right? Um, people who have a legitimate, and my apologies if this is offensive, uh, maybe maybe it is, but people who have a legitimate um, business don't tend to go, well, I need to hide this on a different IP or a different C block, or, uh, you know, I need to find ways to make sure that Google doesn't think that uh, these are all the same business when they actually are. So if you have that type of feeling and that type of gut check that says, I hope the web spam team doesn't look at this, then you're kind of on shaky ground. Um, now, lots of people get away with stuff, uh, but, I, you know, if this is something where you want these businesses, you want these websites uh, to be a major source of income for you for years and years down the road, I would be really careful about doing this kind of thing. Um, if you can, an exception though would be if you can produce content that really is vastly different um, and helpful. Uh, the problem is it's very hard to do that. I had one client that was, this is years ago, but uh, they had a thin content penalty. And often when Google sees this type of thing where it's one business that owns multiple websites, they'll call it thin content. And I think it sort of falls under doorway pages somehow, but it didn't really look like a thin content action to me, but I've seen a few of these and that's what Google called it. Um, so this website that I worked with, it was a payday loans website and they had uh, maybe a hundred different websites. So the scale was much larger than what you're talking about. Um, and the thing was, they said, well, we have this, you know, we sell the same product. Like I think in payday loans, when you get a number, you get like a, I can't remember what it's called, a vending number or something like that. Um, and so each of their websites very clearly use this same identifica identification number. Um, and, but one of the websites was payday loans for seniors, payday loans for students, uh, you know, payday loans, like all these different variations. And so in their minds, they were saying, well, yes, this is unique content because our audience for one website is going to be vastly different than our audience for the other website. In Google's eyes, though, this was not the case. And we actually, this was one case where we actually had feedback from Matt Cutts at the time. Um, and, you know, his words, I can't remember his exact words, but he essentially said, like, these are all the same website, even though the content is technically uniquely unique, uh, it's, it's different, um, they really could have been folded into one website. So, you know, if Google sees it, uh, and they, it can get you a manual action. That said, for websites, probably that's not going to happen. My other concern would be that you could end up cannibalizing your own websites. So, um, you know, if you have four websites all ranking you know, somewhere at the bottom of page one for your main keyword, it might be that if you combine those into one great website, uh, that uh, you could be at the top of page one. It's possible. Um, and then my last concern that I have for this is about EAT. So EAT, uh, you know, for any business is important. And one of the things now, I don't know what niche you're in, but if you have Google My Business profile, you know, you're probably seeing customers, you're, um, you know, Google needs to see that you're a valid business. It's very hard to build up EAT for four different websites that are in the same niche. Um, and so how would I build up EAT? Uh, you know, let's say, uh, let's say I started a website offering uh, where to find a plumber in Ottawa. Um, and then I started another website on emergency plumbers in Ottawa, and I started another website on uh, plumbing for cottages in Ottawa area, you know, stuff like that. Um, and so in order to build up the EAT, each of those businesses needs to be mentioned in places. They need to be recognized as valid businesses. They need to have, I'm guessing, they need to have valid foot traffic, some of them. Um, Google's got patents that measure, you know, how many people actually 
uh, step into a business. They know that stuff. They know when you get the notification on your phone that says, um, how do you like this grocery store? Can you leave a review? They know you're in the store, right? Um, so these are all factors to consider. So I think it's something that if you're doing it as a tactic that you you know could go away at some point, it's worth trying. If you're legitimately trying to um, maintain a business that you want to be around for years and years uh, and you're reliant on it as a source of income, I would much prefer to see you uh, have just one website um, that maybe has different sections on these different uh, aspects, but one website's probably better. Now, let's do uh, the promised question here. Um, I answered a question in last week's newsletter. Uh, somebody was asking about um, a section of all of their pages that says, as seen in, and then it'll say, as seen in CNN or Forbes or whatever. Um, and uh, they were asking whether having that on every page would be seen as duplicate content because they're finding that many of these pages that are not ranking or uh, that have this content, they're having trouble getting them indexed or ranked. So this person sent me some pages. Now they've asked that I don't uh, share the actual domain, so I'm not going to do that. Um, but uh, there's, they sent me four different pages uh, that are essentially service pages. Like They say, look, we do this thing, and here's our um, page on this particular type of software that we create. Uh, and the, the question was saying they're not getting in the index. Now, I searched for text from these pages, and they are indexed. I also searched for um, the main keyword on these pages plus your brand name, and I was able to surface the uh, the pages. So they're there, but when I surf search for just the keyword, uh, I went through, I think, five pages and did not see you. So I think the issue here is not that they're not ranking or that they're not indexed, but rather that they're not ranking as well as expected. Now, how do I put this? It's not that these pages are super low uh, quality, but they're not great. Um, when I look at them, they have some basic information that say, here's the service and you should hire us to create this software for you. Um, and when I did a search for your main keyword, I looked at the site that was ranking number one. This site is known as a giant in your industry. Um, the page that they have ranking has way more information than your page does. Um, and it actually, I, when you sent me these pages, um, I didn't understand the topic. It's, it's around cryptocurrency, and, and uh, I won't say any more than that, but it's an area that I'm not uh, well-versed in. Um, and so their pages from the authoritative website, uh, they started off explaining what these terms were. And um, they wrote it from the perspective to the perspective of uh if i'm a business owner who would maybe want to hire them to develop this type of software then um I have questions and they answered those questions for me. And then I went and I looked them up in Wikipedia. Uh, they have their own Wikipedia page. They have loads of authority. Um, and you don't have a Wikipedia page. Now you do have some level of authority. I see that you've got authoritative mentions. My point here though um, is to say that it's possible that when Google sees your page, so you have a brand new page uh, that you're trying to get in the index that says, hey, we do this service. Google, um, it's not like it was spammy. And, it, you know, I, I didn't look at whether it had links pointing to it uh, or not, but um, the content on the page was all right. Uh, but I think they can say, well, we've already got some really good authoritative pages ranking on this type of topic. And this new page has less information. It comes from a site that's not really well known as an authority. Um, so why should we bother surfacing it to searchers? There's no point. I think in the past, before they could really thoroughly recognize the quality of content, um, Google might say, well, let's, let's kind of experiment with ranking this for a while and we'll see if anybody clicks on it. And if so, then we'll keep offering it to people. Um, but I think this is what's happening now is that Google can recognize, hey, there's new content here. Where should we rank it? Well, it's by far not better <laughs> than anything that we have on our first page. So let's just not bother ranking it unless somebody's very specifically looking for your particular brand or it's really obvious 
obvious that they want the page that's on your site. So what do you do about this? Um, it's very hard to fight against being authoritative. Uh, so keep trying to get news mentions. Uh, tr keep trying to do stuff where people are talking about your company. That'll help boost your authority. You can try to get a Wikipedia page, although you need to have a lot of news mentions. Although you do have, you know, you're mentioned in a lot of places. So you may be able to get a Wikipedia page and this could help. But the best advice that I can give is that you work on improving the content on those pages. Um, so it doesn't, I, I wouldn't focus on word count, but I would say, look, um, of customers that we think could come to our website, how could we best answer all of the questions that they have right at their level? Um, ask them what questions they have and make sure those are covered on your page. And you may find that it starts to rank well again. And then the final thing I'll say on this is if these are brand new pages, give it some time. Um, it can take months. Uh, I've had sites where I've created new sites that were fantastic content, and it sometimes took a good six months for them to start getting recognized and get some search traffic. So uh, if these are new pages, uh, you know, they're not just suddenly going to start ranking. It may take some time. Um, but I think that that's the advice that I can give you to, um, to move forward there. I think that's a good place to end this. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, there you, you may have noticed that I'm doing less interviews and podcasts other than my own um, recently. I've been really trying to focus on uh, just getting our business in shape. We've got a new website coming soon and um, some good stuff. However, uh, one of my team, Cass Downton, who is incredibly smart, knows lots of stuff on links and on algorithm updates. Uh, she did a podcast with Morty Oberstein uh, just recently so we've linked uh, to that on um, uh, in newsletter, and I would encourage you to read that. If you skip ahead to about the 15, 16 minute mark, that's where her interview starts. And uh, she's talking all about unnatural links. It's, it's very, very interesting. Um, I should also mention that we've updated our book on the quality raters guidelines. You can find that on our website. And uh, it's got um, essentially a checklist of things that we go through in our site reviews. Uh, and that's for sale on our website. We've also made our scientific consensus white paper available for purchase. Um, it's a more expensive paper as uh, months of research went into this. It talks about ways that you can separate out your content, that you can identify um, which parts of your site are potentially seen by Google as contradicting scientific consensus. And we've had clients that have used it and have um, given us testimonials of great results uh, with core algorithm updates. So that's available for sale on our website as well too. Um, if you are in anywhere near uh, Munich, I'm going to be at SMX provided apparently the conference is still going ahead despite the coronavirus fears. Uh, so I'll be there in a couple of weeks talking on doing a content audit in the eyes of Google's quality raters guidelines. It's a really interesting topic. Uh, at least I find it interesting. So thanks for sticking with me and I hope you uh, enjoyed the podcast this week and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. <laughs> <laughs>